You're listening to The Enlightened Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Jane, and I'm a gentle chiropractor, holistic counsellor, energetic worker, intuitive guide, and yoga and meditation teacher. I'm the host and creator of The Enlightened Podcast, and I'll be bringing you stories of resilience, consciousness, healing, the human experience, and just how trauma, loss, and grief can shape us to be more compassionate and more empathetic human beings than ever before. These stories are for the highly sensitive, the empaths, and those wanting to hear a unique approach to holistic health. Welcome everybody to this episode. I'm Dr. Sarah Jane and today we have a beautiful friend of mine who I met I think around two years ago now at a social media workshop uh, run by one of our friends Inna from Work Life Mama and we just instantly connected. Um, Our guest today is Bridget Murphy and she's the brains behind a beautiful brand and business called The Truest You, which is just one of my favourite business titles ever. She is a health coach and she's also Um, predominantly about helping women manage their anxiety, create healthy habits and prevent burnout specifically. Uh, Her meditations can be found on Blue Map and she's also one of the most genuine and hardworking people I have met in the holistic health space so far. So welcome, Bridget. Hello. And what a beautiful introduction. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really are. It's so hard to find, you know, um, and not just in our space, but in a lot of uh, work areas, I'm assuming. But it's hard to find people who are just themselves and so authentic like you are and so approachable. So I was so excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So tell tell everyone a little bit about you and, and what you do exactly and, and I guess why you do it. I've given everyone a little intro there that you're a health coach and, and everything like that, but maybe just tell everyone a little bit about Bridget mm-hmm. and what being a health coach is exactly and why you wanted to become a health coach in the first place. All right. So, yes, I am a women's health coach, so predominantly working with women, obviously. I came to this career path from... I guess my own health crisis, you could say, where I did reach the point of burnout, I would say on pretty much all levels of my well-being. So in my, I won't say past life, but before I was coaching, I was <laughs> a primary school teacher. So I was your typical type A person and I was proud of it at the time. You know, I was one of those people that if somebody said, ask a busy person and they'll get it done, I was like, ask me, I'll get it done. I was the yes person, the go, go, go person, busiest, successful, you know, all of these things that while I was like great for everybody else because I'd get things done and I was a high achiever but I ultimately burnt myself out from giving way too much and not really not really having any boundaries in place for myself. So I was always giving outwardly saying yes to things, trying to achieve. And then I, you know, over a course of time, I guess I kept pushing through, but led myself to burn out to the point where I got to work one day and couldn't even remember how I got there and I'd driven. Um, Mm. And you would think that that would be a wake up call. But I kept going. No, no not for me. <laughs> Apparently not. It's like, wow, that's strange. Anyway, what um, else can I do for everyone else? <laughs> and I took a bit more leave and then I'm like, you know, the kids need me. It was report time, all those fun things that teachers are aware of. And I kept going and then it just got to a point where I didn't have a choice if I kept going or I didn't. I just couldn't go anymore. So that's that in a nutshell. It took me about four years, I'd say, to recover, but just to really change the way that I was perceiving myself and what I had to do and how I was showing up and let go of those facades of, you know, being Bridget, the, you know, people pleaser and the high achiever. And through that time too, I also had quite bad anxiety, but I didn't realise it until later. And looking back, I was like, really? Why didn't I know? You know, the signs were so obvious. But it wasn't until down the track when a GP actually mentioned it to me. And obviously then again my ego didn't want me to believe that it was that. I think I was still attaching stigma myself. So I was like, no, you know, there's a lot happening. It's normal. Um, So I was 
looking back, I was high functioning. So on the outside, I was, you know, had everything under control. On the inside, I was like really struggling. So I think that also contributed to that burnout. But this is like a long-winded answer to your question. No, but- <laughs> I like long-winded. That's the point. Please, please. Um, so I think during that time, obviously, I tried to recover. And at the beginning, I just wanted my life to go back to the way it was. I was just desperate for, you know, somebody to give me an answer, tell me what to do, go back to the way that things were. But over time, and it was hard and there were wobbles along the way, I think I just didn't necessarily fully accept that that was the way my life was. But I was like, this is happening and I need to do something about it. And so I also recognised that it was up to me to do the work and that doesn't mean that I didn't see practitioners you being one of them but I I had to realize that somebody wasn't going to you know I don't want to say fix but somebody wasn't just going to give me the answer and I would you know work on something for a month or two and I'd be fine and I think a big shift for me was when I started believing that I would get better because for a while I think I sat in that victim space of being like why me? You know, I was in my mid-20s. I just felt like things were coming together and I was in that why me, you know, I take good care of myself, all of these things. As soon as I sort of started coming out of that mindset, things started to shift. I did lots of my own research. I committed to seeing different practitioners and I was doing the work and then that's when I was like I need, not need but want to do something like this to support women so they don't get to the point that I got to. And I was researching online anyway and doing lots myself and people were saying things to me like, why don't you do something with this? And then one day I was like, I really want to. I actually drew my business logo and came up with the name and wrote it in a journal at the time before I even knew for sure that I wanted to start my own business doing this. Um, Then I did study online from home, which really worked well for me given that I was still building up, you know, stamina and still had um, some healing to do. And so, yeah, that's how my business came about. I guess during that time of healing too, I recognised that I was sort of leaving behind facades, you know, showing up as this, you know, Bridget who's got it all under control but on the inside I felt like things weren't that way. And so essentially I wasn't showing up as my true self to people Yes, in many ways I was, you know, in the way that I was, I guess, leading my days. They were aligned with my values but not necessarily with my priorities or who I was deep down. I was just like that's who they think I am so I have to continue it. And during this time where I had to strip everything back for me to recover, I feel like I was like, okay, this is me, this is what I really want and this is what I'm able to do. And I just think that's where the name came to me and I was like, yes, that's what I want for other people too, to just be able to, you know, stand in your truth and we all have times where, you know, we get pulled away from that and, you know, we can reflect and be like, oh, yeah, that didn't really feel great in that moment or I wish I didn't say that or I shouldn't have done that. But it's just having that awareness around this is who I am and being confident in that and having the awareness of being like, knowing when you detour from your true self too. Did you get diagnosed with chronic fatigue in the end as well? Is that what happened too? Yeah. So it wasn't just burnout. It was actually chronic fatigue syndrome in the end, wasn't it? It was chronic fatigue, which in a way I was just, this sounds really horrible now, but I was just craving somebody to just label it. I was like, just tell me what it is. I was getting tests done for MS, like brain tumours, all of those things which when you're struggling with anxiety anyway and you're feeling so shocking is just adding fuel to the fire. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was really a diagnosis of elimination. Um, My bloods were coming back, some things off, but lots of things were okay. I actually had one specialist say to me, Bridget, you should be running marathons, you know, as if to say what, you know, because nothing was really showing up that was alarming in my pathology. Um, I was having things said to me like that, which was really hard because I was like, people don't believe me. And then you start to question yourself too. You're like, oh, maybe they are right. But I knew deep down 
that, you know, I there was obviously mental health aspect to it with my anxiety and it was not pleasant feeling like, you know, everything you'd worked hard for and created was taken away from you and I was very dependent. I was essentially like a baby for months. Um, but I just knew that there was more to it than that. Um, and now in hindsight it's obviously easier for me to piece things together looking back and reflecting on how I was living my life but at the time it was all a blur and I was like does somebody tell me what it is tell me what I can do and I will do it you know no matter how crazy things were like I was just like tell me what it is but um they did come to that conclusion and so I was like okay well it's like that's essentially being a syndrome it's just like a whole group of different symptoms it's almost an invisible illness really though isn't it because like you said it's one of those ones that's labeled or usually diagnosed after a process of elimination where someone you know is feeling certain ways physically um, or in their physiology but their pathology isn't showing anything to reflect what they are actually feeling so the physical body or the physical tests aren't showing up what that person's actually feeling within. So if they're feeling fatigued, you know, but their, their bloods aren't showing any form of inflammation maybe or whatever that might be, it's a really um, tough thing to diagnose in our society and still is in terms of psychogenic um, issues or challenges. And like you said, I think a lot of the time, and not all the time, but even for me, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a similar kind of, uh, I guess, diagnosis mm. um, where I was feeling pain throughout my whole body where when I was so stressed at one point I couldn't even walk properly I couldn't even lift my arm up to blow wave my hair I couldn't even reach for something and um, all my x-rays came back normal all my tests came back normal and the only thing they could think of was um, based upon where the pain was was fibromyalgia which is I guess a similar syndrome as such in terms of it coming from a mental health aspect as well Mm. but similar to you I'm also a bit of a a type A personality (laughs) and a high achiever and um, why do you think you were a people pleaser or a yes person or even a type A person because when I strip myself back to my core I actually don't think I am those things Mm. I think it's almost a coping mechanism or a way I've been nurtured to feel worthy within our society. I don't know if I lived on an island by myself if I would have developed those traits, so to speak. So what do you think was the reason you were those things or weren't those things really since your business is the truest you? If if that had been you, would you have burnt out in the first place, you know? Mm, I think those, I don't know, behaviours or tendencies actually came from a place of really good intention as in... Mm-hmm. The people pleasing, we label it as that, but I actually do deeply care for people. So I was wanting to do things for people, but I probably didn't have the personal boundaries in place to know when I needed to step back. Mm. Um, The high achieving, I've always been a person that likes to do things and do things well. So when you say that to people, they're like high achieving perfectionist. Um, and I did have, and I still do have some perfectionistic tendencies, nowhere near what they used to be. I don't know if it comes from a place also of feeling like I had to prove myself, um, which is really odd in the sense that I worked hard to achieve what I did, obviously, but I didn't, I didn't have the expectations like at home, there wasn't the expectation of like, you know, you have to get straight A's and, you know, excel you know, my parents would say, as long as you're happy, we're happy. And that doesn't mean, you know, that you don't care. We were raised to, you know, work hard and do well. But there was never any pressure on me to be like, come on, Bridget, that's not good enough. There was not never that dialogue at home. So I if I'm thinking back, it's probably just a lot of it too. And I still notice it sometimes where I want to be able to show what I can do. I'm like, I can do these things, but I probably can't do everything at one time. And that could also have added to my undoing, if you want to call it that, is that I was trying to do everything. And probably in my teaching, I was trying to prove myself. I'd just moved from home, so back in the country to the city, where I got my job from my first teaching, uh, last teaching placement, sorry. 
you know, I was thrown in. I had student teachers from my first year, which you're not even meant to. Like I was still learning myself. Um, I was in position of leadership running the junior school in my third year. I was, I guess, because my academic achievements had been shown and my work ethic on my placement had been shown, then I'd set myself up for those expectations to be there. And I felt like I had to uphold them, but also better them, if that makes sense. So not only just meet what I thought they wanted from me, but I'm like, I need to go above and beyond. So I think in that space and that time of my life, I probably was trying to prove myself, show that I was competent, show what I was able to do. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do those things because I am a person that loves serving others. So being a teacher, obviously you're around children all day and supporting them in many ways. But I felt like I was being pulled away from showing up as me probably because of those expectations that then I don't know how far back I can link them. That's probably the time when they came most became most apparent during my teaching time. Mm. Why do you think so many of us are experiencing, you know, these burnout behaviours or, or experiencing anxiety as well? Why are so many young women and especially, you know, in our 20s, I was in my 20s as well, very similar to you in the sense of when my diagnosis came about. Mm. Um, mine was related to PTSD as well at that point in time, but also very similar to you. I was a high achiever and I still am a recovering high achiever. It takes but time. Still- I'm still working on it. Um, it's still very um, challenging for me and I am still, it's something I consciously am, am working on even today. But why do you think there are so many of us experiencing these these symptoms or um, these illnesses at the moment? Because do you think it's our Western society? What do you think it is? I think it's so many things. I think we sort of get in this state especially in that phase of our lives where we're sort of reaching for more all the time we feel like we're sort of setting the foundations creating the life and that's our time if we don't do it in our you know early mid-20s then time's running out sort of thing and we get on this like wheel and there's no circuit breaker which then means that we're sort of living our days on autopilot And a simple way that I explain it to people is like if you've ever driven somewhere and you get to where you were going and you're like, did I ever pass that? Like I know I've done that myself. That's how we can start living our lives on that autopilot where you're sort of just rushing from one thing to the next, pushing all the time and obviously in that masculine energy, striving all the time. And we don't really give ourselves time to step back and observe what's happening we're just taking absorbing everything and adding more and more and more all the time so I think a big part of it is the pace and that pace obviously we've got a pace that's set that we try and keep up with but then we put this pressure and urgency on ourselves also um, from a comparison perspective of being you know as good as somebody we know or look they're able to do that I should be able to too so I think comparison's a big part of it but I also think we don't take enough time to really check in with our personal values and with what's most important to us. We think we know, but a lot of us have been carrying those things with us from our childhood and perhaps how we've been raised, but we haven't checked in as an adult to be like, what do I truly value and what is most important to me? So without those things, we don't really have something to fall back on when we're making our decisions because we're like, we'll just say yes to everything. Um, So if if people know their core values and what's important to them, they'll be more conscious of how they're spending their time and energy and what they're giving their focus to. So I think, you know, that pace of things, the comparison and not really being in tune with what's important to us are big contributors to people burning out and those... I guess, just continually rising levels of anxiety. How do you think someone, like when they're looking back at their core values or trying to inspect what their values are, how can people 
see if it's a value that they actually value or if it's something that's kind of been embedded or learnt in an environment around them or something that they've been taught from maybe a parent or um, colleague or friends or social media or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be. How can we know if it's an actual real value of ours or we think it is but it's actually not? Like how can we distinguish between the two and get to that deeper core of ourselves it's so important and this is something that when I'm working one-on-one with clients or inside my membership it comes up people are like oh I feel really bad I feel bad that I should care about that and I don't really anymore and so that would that's where I would say if you're noticing those thoughts coming in saying I should care I used to care about this and I don't or if you're feeling that heaviness of the guilt and the shame around oh, what would somebody think if I said that or what if they read that and they're not included in it sort of thing. There's, if you're noticing shoulds coming into your mind and feelings of guilt, then they're probably things, values that you've been carrying and you don't want to anymore. And the thing is, this is where this, <clears throat> excuse me, misalignment can come from is that if you're forcing yourself to live out those values that no longer align with the person you are now then you're constantly going to be pulled back into the past all the time and feel like there's you know you're trying to step forward but something's pulling you back because you're like well I should care about that so you're pouring yourself into things that don't really serve you or energize you or mean a lot to you anymore Mm, I love that actually because yeah, I suppose if it's like, oh, I, I better put this one on the list or <laughs> I should put this one on the list or even when I'm, you know, working with trauma clients or um, a lot of my other clients as well is the there's an area in the body that comes up which is the should area and it's like, oh, I should have said this or I shouldn't have done that or I should say this or I shouldn't do this or it's it's something that goes on in our, our mindsets mm. so much and it can affect us both emotionally and physically and Something interesting that I really liked you um, touching on before was the fact that, you know, your childhood was like a positive childhood, you know. Um, You had supportive parents, you know, you were close family um, based in Ballarat and a lot of my clients struggle with the idea that, you know, how can I have these traumatised things in my system when I haven't been through a trauma, like I didn't have an abusive childhood or I didn't you know, go to war or I didn't have all these things. Um, And it confuses people as to Mm. why their bodies are behaving this way in almost like a traumatised manner, which basically just means an overwhelmed manner. You've had too many things happen to you and occur in your life in either a short time or over a chronic time that were overwhelming for your system. That's basically what trauma is. And people are associating it with these terrible, horrible things that are also traumatizing, yes, but there's almost this new type of trauma um, in our lives, which doesn't mean that you had to have this and this happen to you, but it can be traumatizing itself, not listening to your body and and having these expectations on yourself and wanting to achieve to be worthy and, and doing all these things. Do you kind of agree with that as well in terms of what you're seeing with your your clients too? I think so and definitely that underestimating of their own personal experience and I think that comes back to comparison to other people too. You know, especially in the time that we're living in now, I'm, a lot of people are saying to me, I know I've got nothing to complain about. This could be mm. happening to me, those people, this is happening and I should be happy, you know, I'm able to be at home. I have my job, but, you know, everybody's circumstances are so different. You know, there are people, if we use this time we're living in as an example, there are people that, yes, still have their job and things are sort of, you know, normal, if you want to call it that for them, but they doesn't mean that they're happy in that situation, you know, so then they're feeling guilty because other people don't have a job. I think we have to really look at our own personal situation and recognize recognize what is happening and what has happened in the past for us and not just feel like it's one like you were saying Sarah not one huge life event or trauma that we have to link everything to or if that hasn't happened to us then we're like what's wrong like why is this happening I've got no reason but it's the, that accumulation of little things that you touched on too, little things over time that then just get to a point where it's just overwhelming 
and where you try and make sense of things and there's just no clarity there either. Mm, I always say to my clients, it's like if you brushed your teeth 30 times in one day, <laughs> that's not going to have the same effect as if you brush them once a day over, you know, three years as well. So it, it's it's what we're doing daily mm. as well that can be just as traumatising as one large event too. And I think we are in this culture of minimising as well. And just like you said, that coping mechanism um, in this culture as well is very much so you know, oh, well, I've still got my job, so therefore I can't complain about this or you've lost your right arm, so be happy that you have your left or whatever it might be. We're just taught this this way of, you know, just be grateful and I see that a lot in this space as well. So can you talk a little bit about how someone, you know, can bring gratitude into their life or be grateful for the things that they do have without that minimisation category attached to it? Yep. Because even I find that hard because I'm like, okay, I write my grateful list and it's the same thing on there all the time. It's like my dog, my cats, you know, my house, you know, whatever it might be, all these things. And I'm like, I've got to start writing different things that I'm grateful for, but how can I be grateful without minimising maybe something that I do actually need to change or um, create different in my life as well? Mm. I think it can be such a fine line and I am all for gratitude and noticing the good, but I think we can get to a point where we dismiss how we're feeling or we minimise it for other people too. And that's when we say things to people like, oh, well, or at least, mm-hmm. and you're minimising mm-hmm. it for them. Same thing, like if somebody's, you know, lost their job, oh, well, at least, you know, your partner's still working or but they're just not listening to what that person said. So I think we do that to ourselves too. We sort of feel something and then we're like at least this or we go the opposite way where we just focus on everything that isn't working out that you know we're not good at that we don't have and we can't see the other side so I just think weaving in if you're not already if you don't have a practice you know like Sarah you said you write things down you can just start it off as a more formal structured practice so to speak but you can weave it in you know when you're brushing your teeth teeth not 30 times a day Um, (laughs) you know think of something that you're looking forward to that day or if it's at night time what was the highlight of your day or what are you most proud of you know I think also with gratitude we think that we have to be saying it as I am grateful for I am thankful for all the time Mm. but we can come at it from different ways and, you know, you can have this, you know, conversation with yourself or open it up over dinner or throughout the day or it's just noticing small parts in your day that meant a lot. That might be as simple as, you know, being able to walk to your favourite cafe and, and get a coffee or it might be, you know, for people with children having, you know, an un- uninterrupted shower or having somebody cook a meal for you. It's like it can be, I think we try and I don't want to say try and be too grateful, but we try and find huge things that we're thankful for mm. and then we miss the tiny things. And I think for me that's what it's all about, noticing those little things throughout the day that mean a lot to you while still letting yourself sit with the things that aren't great and being like it's okay for me to feel that and not want it to be different because if we I know people label it, label it as toxic positivity, but if we're constantly forcing ourselves to see the good in every single thing and letting go of the other side, it's just we're just pushing it down further and further and we're just storing it in our bodies. And I'm sure you see this, Sarah, when you're working with your patients, is that it just starts storing and building up and it's that overwhelm on the system because we're not addressing it. So I think definitely have... A practice whether that's formal or if you just weave it in your day you know you could start a gratitude jar if you're that way inclined where you can just pop something on a post-it note each day and watch that pile of good things grow um but I think just don't feel like things have to be going well that you have to be good at everything that everything has to be okay all the time because no matter what work you do on yourself you're human and there will be things that you know, you need to sit with that don't feel great and letting yourself sit in that discomfort is really important too. Mm, I remember 
I didn't really know what any of this like meant truly when people say it's the simple things or the little things that you'll miss. And it wasn't until my mum got sick actually Mm. that I really realised the stuff that I missed about doing or having with her and it was things like missing us having our cups of teas together and our little chats together or missing our, you know, chats on the phone and, and things like that. That was the stuff that... I missed and, and still do miss. It, it was these little things that we did together that connected us and not these huge things that or these big events that you think you'll miss about the person. It's mm. really those small um, little moments that just you share with someone that are so important. And I guess the other thing I want to touch on with the gratefulness is we've spoken about, you know, how we, we don't have to be grateful for everything or be positive about everything, but how do we also not then um, be stuck in that victim mentality or that negative state as well? Because sometimes mm. you know, I'll be like, it's okay, you know, um, you don't have to be grateful all the time. And then uh, sometimes then I find myself going towards more of a, a negative state like the, well, why me then? Or yep. this isn't fair or, or whatever. And it might actually be um, a negative thing that's happening in terms of my brain as well. So how can I know whether I'm in <laughs> negative mindset or um, toxic positivity or how do I find the balance between the two because that's when I get confused myself and, you know, I have a lot of tools within me and I still get a bit confused. I'm like, okay, am I allowed to feel this way and it's normal? Yes, but how long for or how long is normal or um, do I want to be like this forever or am I going to be upset about this for how long or or what is it that's the difference between, say, a negative mindset or or victim mentality and actually just being in those emotions as well? Mm -hmm. What's the balance? I think it's so individualised and we know within our, generally we know when we're sitting in that space for too long. You know, you know within yourself, you're like, okay, I'm really sick of this, but I don't know what to do to come out of it. A lot of us have that awareness where we're like, I'm really over this, but we don't know the next step. And this is where if you're doing it for yourself, it's, I'm not saying go back to that, oh, well, and at least, but be like, okay, this is you know, it might help for you to write it down just so those thoughts aren't just spinning around in your mind at a million miles an hour. Write down, do a brain dump of how you're feeling and just be honest without that filtering being like, oh, that I shouldn't say that, that's really bad or, well, that sounds extreme. But then also you might say, okay, tomorrow is a new day. How could that look for me? Um, and that... You don't want to go so far forward that it's like you're putting in these really high expectations but just being like, okay, how could that look for me? What have I got to look forward to tomorrow? You know, how can I spend my day tomorrow? What do I get to do? I think also when we're stuck in that scarcity mindset, it can be really hard to focus on the things that we are able to do. We look at everything that we're not able to do that isn't going our way that we're really struggling with and we don't let ourselves cross over. So Mm. I think also, you know, look at the things that you are able to do, whether they're relevant to the situation that you're in and that space that you're in right now or not be like, okay, well, I do, I am able to do this and I get to make that choice or, and open it up rather than being like solely focused on the situation that you're in. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I always get confused myself sometimes. I'm like, okay, what am I doing? Because sometimes my, you know, my worst enemy is myself within my own head. It's not even necessarily what's happening or um, my responses to it are just as important because I have that knee-jerk reflex to go into protective mode, Mm. which is, you know, my nervous system trying to protect me and keep me safe, which is wonderful. But there has to be a time where I'm able to pull myself out of that as well. And sometimes I get confused because I'm not really grateful yet in that moment, but I'm not wanting to stay in the um, that sadness or that uncomfortableness any longer either. So I'm trying to kind of find ways to get out of that and that's a great way to do it actually how you've said that. So that will help me definitely. But what do you think most of your clients are, I guess, most fearful of at the moment or what you've seen in your practice as well? What's what's going on for people at the moment? What are they scared of? What's what's what are you seeing I'm finding that it's a really um, mixed bag so there's people that are just sitting in this time and they're like okay things are bubbling up I want to address this now 
there's also people that are sort of sitting on the fence being like, I need support, but I'm not sure if I'm ready. I know I need it. I know I should, you know, in that space, but not sure whether to commit. And then there's people that are just like, this is a lot, you know. And I think from a sense of what people are most fearful of, I think there's also a lot of people that are fearful of returning to normal. And I know normal like inverted commas, but I think so many of us are just wanting things to go back to you know, some reflection of how they were before all of this happened. But there's also some people that are fearful of that because they have sort of done work during this time and they're like, now that doesn't really align with where I'm at. So I think there's fear on different levels. So fear of returning to that place and fear of not wanting to return to that place. Mm. Mm. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. I think even I was a bit nervous about when things go back to normal exactly and I think for me it was more about the pace of everything again. I was like, oh, you know, I've, I'm going to have to be really busy again or I'm going to have to do this again and then you realise you don't actually have to do anything, <laughs> you know, um, because in terms of the time off that I'm having now, I'm learning how to actually rest, which is quite a strange thing for myself, as we were discussing mm. um, before we started recording today. And the things that I'm enjoying is actually, you know, sleeping in without an alarm waking me up necessarily, or um, not feeling like I have all these things that I have to do or places I need to be in one day, because we're not allowed to go <laughs> yeah, anywhere. That but, decision's made. Yeah, yep. the decisions made it. It made me realise how much I would pack my days full of things as well. Oh, I've got time to go here, there and there and on my days off I've got to make the most of those times mm-hmm. so I've got to squish in as much as I can. So if I'm, I live out near uh, on the Mornington Peninsula so if I have to go somewhere, say, I don't know, towards the city, I'm like, okay, what else do I need to do and what else can I do if I'm going to drive down that way? And, you know, I'll just fill my days full of everything and then now I have all this space and I can go for a walk whenever I want. I can do my meditations whenever I want. I can do my yoga whenever I want. I can, I've got time to go to the shop and pick what I want to eat and really think about it and pick all the ingredients and come home and cook it and not stress about being tired and all of those things mm. and sometimes I am still tired, mind you, and I can't figure out why. But I think too <laughs> it's like when people, people go on holidays and they're like, I fell in a heap. It's because your body's been given this chance to recalibrate so you're not running on that, you know, on cortisol and adrenaline to push through your days where you're like, I'll do this and then I'm going near the city, I'll do this and this and this and this and then you get home and you're like, whoa. You know, and if all your days are like that, there's no real circuit breaker. Even things like meditation and exercise can become something that people start doing just to get it done. Mm, I definitely was. I definitely was. And it's also because you just get told, uh, you know, uh, if you want to feel less anxious, do you do yoga and do you meditate? You know, that was one of the reasons that I started doing both of those things because I was like, oh, okay, it's going to help me with that. But then I would be on so much throughout the whole thing that I never really, it, it became another thing to check off on my list. Yeah, it's counterproductive. Than, yeah, yep. it became counterproductive and I've just started realising now I'm actually getting more benefit from those practices now, which is something really lovely because I haven't had that in a long time. But maybe you could go through some tools that people could use to feel a little less um anxious or burnt out at the moment and maybe some things that they could use at home Mm -hmm. for the moment? Yep, sure. So I would say if you haven't sat down to do your, (laughs) narrow your core values down, do that. I know that's a really big thing and not so much a practical tool, but then you'll just feel like your decisions moving forward will be a little bit easier. So a good place to start is just to do a really big mind map you know, and like you were saying, Sarah, about that time with your mum that meant a lot, you know, just sitting down to have a cuppa, it's you might say, okay, family, and then branch off family. What is it within that, that sense of belonging, unconditional love, quality time, and keep branching off. So then you can really find what it is within that that you value the most rather than putting everything in a really broad term where you're like, mm, it's so open for interpretation do it to a point where you're like, yes, I value that and those things are important and you're so sure of them. So I would do that. 
I think, and you've pretty much said it through your experience from going living, you know, such full days to slowing down, is just give yourself permission to do that. So it's really hard and so much easier said than done. But maybe do it before you go to bed at night. Say, okay, tomorrow I'm giving myself permission to have a slow morning, if you're able to, obviously. Or I'm giving myself permission to have the afternoon to, you know, choose something that you want to do. So you're going to bed knowing that tomorrow you're doing that rather than being, you know, if you sit down to do something that you want to do and be like, oh, I really should be doing that, that guilt comes in. So give yourself permission and go gently on yourself too. If, you know, you can slip up, things don't have to be perfect. Just because you've got more time, it doesn't mean that things are easier they're often harder because we're sitting in that discomfort. We've got more time for things to come in and bubble to the surface. So be really gentle on yourself. Really, I think, come back to your breath if you're noticing that things are too much. And Sarah, I'm sure you've got lots of breathing techniques that you share. But I think just when in doubt, extend your exhale. So breathe in for four, breathe out for six, breathe in for six, out for eight, whatever you're able to do. And use that as an anchor throughout the day. So I say to people, it's sort of like stacking your habits, but link that to something that you already do. So every time you pick up your phone, take a deep breath, you know, and for a lot of people that would be a lot of deep breaths. I'll be breathing a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it either works out out well that they're breathing deeper or then they choose not to pick up their phone so much. Um, (laughs) Link things to what you're already doing. So that's something really easy for us to do. You pick up your phone, you take a deep breath. We take over 20,000 breaths a day. So if you think of how many you take really deeply, I'm, you know, a lot of us, yeah. Um, So just tune into your breathing. Do small things that bring you joy. So that for some people that might be cooking, for others cooking is just a nightmare for them. You know, do things that bring you joy and try and slow them down. So cooking for me, I know, is more of a mindful thing. I find chopping, this sounds really odd, chopping things up really, that's like mind, a mindful. Right. Yeah, I find it really therapeutic. Find things for you, for people who have a garden, they really enjoy pottering around in the garden. It might be doing something more actively like being like, okay, I'm going to do a puzzle or sort my cupboard for some people is really therapeutic. But Choose things to do and give yourself the time rather than being like today I'm going to do this, 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 this and this and slipping back into that habit of jam-packing your day. Just try and do things with intention and focusing on one thing as best you can for that time. Because I think too even though we are home and many people have more time, we still have this pressure to do lots that productivity mm. pressure to be like, okay, I still did X, Y, and Z today. So I have that a lot. Yeah. I'm work- That's the thing I'm working on the most because even yesterday I sat down to watch Eat, Pray, Love. Yes, I'm a sucker. I love that show. <laughs> I, I think I've seen it three times but I didn't care. I put it on again. And there was a voice inside my head because my husband's still working at the moment was like he's going to come home and he's going to see you sitting on the couch Mm. and he's going to ask you what have you done today and he didn't even ask me that but the idea in my head was well he's going to ask you know what have you done today really was in my head what have I done today and I hadn't really done much to be honest with you I woke up at about 9 30 which never happens I strolled around took Cooper for a walk went and watched Eat Pray Love then it was like three o'clock three o'clock by the time it finishes and he's been working all day and he comes home he's like oh oh how was your day and I just felt so guilty because I hadn't done anything in my head that was worth something Mm. because I hadn't done anything that I need to be doing during this time or you know I could have sorted the laundry or I could have actually I did clean the fridge yesterday as well um I ended up having to do that because I was like I've got to do something yeah Um, So I'm working on that too. And I think that's we, a lot of us link our productivity to our self-worth too. We feel better the more that we do. And that's a really dangerous trap because we'll constantly be doing more to, (laughs) to feel better about ourselves and to prove to ourselves. And I think that expectation that you had, you know, about 
you know, just sitting down to watch Eat, Pray, Love, but then getting worried that, you know, there's an expectation, what have you done? I think the expectation that we have on ourselves too, we need to be aware of how we're mirroring those onto other people mm. because if the tables well, were didn't turned. Even say that. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like if it was the opposite way and you were to come home and he was watching the movie, would you care? Probably, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's my own stuff but that's what I would have thought yeah. I'm like well aren't you lucky aren't you it's a little luxurious life for you that you get to sit down and watch eat pray love for the 10th time <laughs> well I've been at work all day so yes actually I like deep down would I care no but there would be some part of me that would feel like there was a lack of fairness in that yeah. or um I don't I don't know. This has become a session just for me, Bridget. I feel sorry for everyone listening. It's becoming it's becoming a personalized session for me. But I think to expectations of ourselves and of other people during this time, it's so important to tune into those because they have changed. You know, our lives are so different. So obviously our expectations need to change on some level. So you might need to be gentler on yourself, be gentler on people who are at home with you. And just be like, okay, this is a pause, it's not forever. And seeing this time as that way, even though it feels like, you know, the stop button or a full stop for a lot of people, it feels so definite. I think if you see this time as a pause, adjust things to that. So this is for now, not forever. And just do the best with what you've got where you are on any particular day. And if that means watching Eat, Pray, Love again, you know, to do it and just have it do it without the guilt and without that need to justify yourself if somebody does say, what are you doing, you know? Well, it really fed my soul. Yeah. Like it really made me happy. Like I was just like, I love this movie. I, you know, I love that she's going to Italy and she's eating all the food and learning Italian. I'm like, I've always wanted to learn Italian. And then she, I've never been to Bali. So, you know, it's got me thinking of some things that I want to do as well. But I just loved that whole story of, you know, self-discovery and and all those kind of things. So it really made me feel good and as strange as it was it really connected me back to myself through that mm. by watching that and something a little bit more light-hearted rather than a task to do yeah so I was really happy with it but why do you think we find it so hard to take care of ourselves like that was challenging for me there was a voice in my head that said do you really need to be doing that you know don't you think you could be doing this instead um and I was like nope I'm watching it bring on Julia Roberts so <laughs> why why do you think it is hard like why are we so critical of ourselves in, in terms of relaxing? I think because a lot of us haven't, not necessarily been raised in that way, but being brought up in a way where it's okay to do that. You know, we go through so many systems, school system, you know, resting isn't exactly encouraged in that place. You know, we go, we get ourselves into this cycle where we're like, to be more, I have to do more have more I have to do more and we just keep doing more and more and more and we think that these things have to be like how do I say easy to track your progress so you're like okay today I did this yes tick it off and it's really clear and tangible whereas for us rest is really hard like did I do a good job of it did I not is that rest or is that not rest like it's really hard for us to know what we need I think so for some people rest is like just zoning out for other people rest is sort of more actively doing something where it's their mind is not based on an outcome I think too we're so based on outcomes like I said like we've got to have an outcome to be like okay I've done it whereas resting you don't really necessarily have that tangible outcome you might be like okay I feel better I feel calmer but to us that doesn't seem enough so then I think that's why we find it so hard because we can't just tick it off and pop rest on the list and tick it off and be content with that. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that comes back to our own, again, our own expectations of ourselves too and what we think is okay and what isn't okay and those things have obviously been built on over time. So I think that's why I said to just lessen your expectations a little bit and go gentler on yourself. It's same as, you know, like I say to people with their um, self-talk and their inner critic, I'm like, would you say that to an innocent child? 
you know, if, no. yeah, if they were doing something just for fun or if they were taking some time out to rest, like that would be celebrated, you know, whereas for adults it's just like we just torture ourselves and be like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. What's wrong with you? You know, so you're wasting time. We feel guilty. I think just being gentle on yourself, give yourself permission to do something for fun or to just, you know, lay down and zone out without that guilt. Mm. Lots of things for me to work on (laughs) and everyone else. No, like it's one of those things that I know rationally but it it just got highlighted a lot um, in the last few weeks. For those of you listening who majority are my patients, you know that I've closed the practice for now until stage four is over. So I've never actually had time off before without replacing it with something else to fill it. Mm. So if I've taken time off, it'd be go to travel somewhere. And, yes, it's a holiday but, you know, you've got things to do, new places to see. It's my holidays aren't exactly restful, you know. They're always full of, you know, I think the last holiday we went to we were in Port Douglas and we went on the Great Barrier Reef snorkelling and then we went to this restaurant and then we went for a hike and, you know, all these amazing things but I always fill it with something mm. um, or I've taken time off to do a course yep. or or something. And so it's I've never really had this time off to be at home and um, it's helping me highlight some things that I haven't really, uh, I guess, not had the time or haven't prioritised as such, but I've been distracting myself with by helping other people. I tend to do that a lot. Mm. I'm like, okay, if I just focus on everyone else and helping everyone else through their stuff, I'm good. But then I don't actually, um, well, I haven't been recently, um, focusing enough time on myself and my stuff and actually going, okay, well, what is it that I need to work through um, without that distraction? Mm. So, that's something that that I'm working with currently. But how can people work with you, Bridget? How can people find you? I, I know you spoke a little bit there about your masterclass and what that is. What is that exactly and, and how can people um, benefit from your beautiful wisdom that you've shared with us here and, and obviously a lot, a lot more um, tips and things? Well, thank you, Sarah, and good on you for sitting in that space without the distractions. It is um, not an easy thing to do. I, so I have an online coaching membership called the Truest You Collective and that's just a place for women to come together who are struggling with stress, anxiety, overwhelm, wanting to avoid burning out. Um, every, you get unlimited coaching from me there. There's live guest experts in there talking about topics that you're wanting to hear more from. There's just it's all laid out in what we call a member hub, five steps for you to follow. So you're switching off living in that space of autopilot and stepping into a place of more alignment, which is obviously getting you closer towards your true self. So we do dive in. So it's for people that are ready to do the work, but to know that they've got that support um, all the time from me and from other women in the group. But if that's not something that people think would support them, I also work with clients one-on-one too for that, you know, 100% tailored support too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Well, I will add your details on the uh, information session of this podcast. So I'll pop Bridget's Instagram, The Truest You, as well as her website so people can get in touch with you. But thank you thank so you. much for joining us, Bridget, and My sharing your, your knowledge. We're all very lucky to have you on today. And I hope to be able to see you in person soon, whether it's in the clinic or actually just a catch-up would be nice yeah, as well. me too. It feels like forever. Ah, it will happen okay i hope so well thanks for joining us bridget and everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode and yeah we'll speak to you all soon bye bye